What's up, church? You guys sound good. You ready? We're so glad you're here. How many of you first time at, at, at this campus? How many of you first time? Oh, a bunch of you. Can we make some noise at all locations? Can we make some noise for those who are joining us for the first time? Hey, listen, we mean this from the bottom of our hearts. We, we know that we're not perfect. We know that we're a bunch of imperfect, messed up people, but we love to get together and pursue a perfect God. So no matter what is or has been going on in your life, we're so glad that you're here with us today. So we hope you felt welcomed already. Um, we're glad you're here. So welcome home and welcome to Red Rocks Church. Can we make some noise one more time for everybody joining us? So I'm not actually giving the message today. I am introducing one of my really good friends who is, um, and it's kind of a fun sort of introduction slash announcement. Um, do any of you remember, um, you may remember him or think of him when you read Luke 15 of the story of the prodigal son, but do any of you remember a guy named Ronnie Johnson? Ronnie was um, on staff here at Red Rocks Church. In fact, he was the campus pastor right here at the Littleton campus. And, um, and I heard someone, what did you say? Yes, he was. Uh, I thought you said something, something else. Uh, stay focused. And so, so anyways, he was here and you know, God was, was doing great things in his life. And then he got rebellious and, and went to a far off distant country where he squandered his father's wealth and wild living. And, and, uh, it's a biblical thing. And so anyways, he went to Dallas and he was doing his thing and we were just really supportive of Ronnie. And then, um, I started to get worried about him because I saw uh, his profile on Instagram, and you guys can see. Um, <laughs> he started to let himself go, let's call it what it is, and, and uh, he started collecting cats. And um, so, so I called Ronnie, and I said, man, I, I, I can't help but notice, number one, you've got a rat tail. And, and, you know, and so we started talking just about, you know, what God had in store for his life. And I said, if you cut that rat tail, you can move home. <laughs> and I'm happy to tell you that he is no longer a guest speaker, but he is the newest and latest addition to our staff. Red Rocks Church, the prodigal has returned. Can you make some noise for the Ronnie Johnson? Red Rocks Church, can you make some noise one more time? And all of you that are watching with us at our campuses all across Denver, Brussels, God Behind Bars, I'm so excited to be with you this weekend. Um, it's an absolute dream to call this place home once again. Uh, it's been a long time coming. I was talking with uh, uh, Eric Parks the other day, and he goes, man, I had the craziest dream. Get this. You, you, you and your wife, you left, you moved to Dallas for one year, and then you came back. It's the craziest thing. It's a really bad dream. And sadly, that was a real-life thing. But we are back. We are home. Uh, my wife and I, my wife Kara, for those of you that don't know her, she is extremely good looking to start off with. <laughs> I, uh, I, I really married up. Um, she, uh, she and I were talking on our way over here, moving back to Denver, and she said, Ronnie, we've been married for seven years and we've moved 14 times. 
I know. You guys can be praying for my wife. The fact that she's stuck with me is a miracle. And so I just leaned over to her and she's like, babe, can you just promise me that we won't leave for a very, 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 very long time? And so Red Rocks, we hope that you guys keep us and we don't have to leave for a very, 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 very long time. I hope to get very old here. Uh, for those of you that don't know my family, my wife and I, we've been married now for about seven years. I got a, a little diddle. Her name is Princess Ara Kate, and uh, she's going to be two in March. She's with Kids Rock right now. Those of you volunteering in Kids Rock, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. You got to take care of my kiddo. And we found out several months ago that my wife is now carrying baby number two, our firstborn son. <laughs> which I'm absolutely excited about. It's the best news ever. And so in advance, Kids Rock, I am so, so sorry. Can we just give a round of applause for all our children's ministry volunteers? My goodness. I'm excited. I want to talk to us uh, this weekend. We're in this series called Awake, and we're, we're taking a look at what it means to dream big dreams. Many of us have these God-sized dreams that God's placed in your heart maybe a long time ago. And the whole premise behind what we're trying to accomplish is that we would dream big dreams, yes, but that we would live better lives in the day-to-day. And one of the things that I wanted to speak to this weekend is to some of us that are in this weird place where you go, this whole thing on dreaming is really cool, but I don't really feel like I'm living the dream. I don't really feel like my life feels like the dream that I had in mind. This, This job that I'm in doesn't feel like the dream. This marriage thing that I'm in is really hard. It doesn't feel like the dream. The, the, the money that is or is not coming in doesn't really feel like the dream that I had in mind, and there's this disconnect between life and dreams. Am I speaking to anybody? Anybody feel that from time to time? A couple of you feel that. Amazing. There's this discrepancy between reality and this God-sized dream. What do you do when those aren't coexisting? What do you do to remedy your own heart and your own soul when you're going, man, this surely cannot be the dream? I remember a time when I was in college. Uh, I had just gotten permission from my dad and from uh, my now father-in-law um, to marry my wife, Kara. And I was home. It was a, a summer in between semesters in college, and uh, I got an opportunity to work at a car dealership. And my whole goal was, man, I'm going to save up money while I'm working at this car dealership, and uh, I'm going to be able to buy a ring to hopefully marry this girl of my dreams, and I got to do it quickly before she realizes that she can do better. And so I, I, I go online, I find this job, and it says lot manager, and I'm like, manager, this sounds pretty amazing, and it looks like I qualify, and so I call, I get the job, I show up to the first day, and little did I know, a lot manager is the one that makes all the cars straight, and they're the ones that scrape all of the snow off the windshield, and they wash the cars. It was less manager than I thought that it was going to be, but um, I took the job, and one of the things that I did is I went to a jeweler right after I got my first paycheck, and I, and I put a deposit down on a ring. And every Friday that I got paid, I went to that jeweler and I made another deposit, made another deposit. I'd hold the ring and just dream about this fact that one day I was going to marry Kara. She was going to be mine. And so I'd go back and I'd pay the deposit. And the time came where the last deposit needed to be made. And then that ring was mine. And then it was game on. 
So I remember driving to work that Friday and I'm like, this is gonna be the best day of my life. This is gonna be the best paycheck I have ever received. And so I, I stroll in and, and the, the sales manager throws me a set of keys and he says, hey, can you go clean this car up? And I did that all the time, so it wasn't that big of a deal. And so I take the keys and I look over at the car and I'm like, this thing is a Buick from hell. Like this was like old, old, old Buick. It was missing the rear view mirror on the, on the driver's side. And, and what had happened is the, the owner of the vehicle had been following a utility truck when some paint cans fell out. And so all along the side of this white Buick was this green paint all up the side of the vehicle. And so I'm going, oh my goodness, I gotta be the guy that has to clean up this paint off this thing because they got to sell this car. And so I, I pull it into the, to the parking garage and I'm, I'm cleaning it up and I got all my stuff there. And so I'm trying all of the, the, the high-powered cleaning products and I'm trying to get this green paint off. It's not working. It's all in the, the, the wheel wells. It's all up the side of the car. And so I went into the shop, which was right next door, and I said, do you any of you guys got something that's a little bit more abrasive? Like I need something with some grit. One of the guys said, you could try this reaches over and he grabs this little handle of just like steel wool, just look like a, somebody shaved their mustache off or something like that. So I took it. I'm like, if you, this thing's got some grit to it. Let, let me try this out. And so I, I walk over to the car and I'm taking a look at this thing and I lather it all up and I'm down there and I'm like giving it everything, trying to get it, all the green paint out of there. A couple hours later, I wash the car up and I'm proud all the green paint's gone and I dry this thing up, and as I'm drying it, I'm noticing that there's some spots on the car that are a little less shiny. And I start to realize maybe I shouldn't have used steel wool to detail this car. In that moment, it was probably one of the worst dark nights of the soul sort of moments. I can remember, I just had this panic go over me. And one of the guys said, hey, listen, maybe if you just get some wax, you can, maybe you can buff this thing back out and it's gonna look like the clear coats there that you scraped off with steel wool. And so I remember trying, I tried wax and I worked with this car all day long and it just got to a point where I'm like, I... I'm gonna lose my job. He's gonna, he's, gonna, he's gonna take the rest of my paycheck. Not only am I gonna have to, to pay for this car, I'm probably gonna have to buy this Buick from hell. And in order to do that, I'm gonna have to go get my down payment and all the payments I've been making from this jeweler. And I'm like, my dream is ruined. And then my wife's gonna figure out that I am a complete idiot and I detailed a car with steel wool. So she's not even gonna to wanna to marry me anymore. I'm out of ring, I'm out of wife. My life is completely ruined. And so I can remember I was crouched down in the corner and I, and I called my mom on my cell phone. I'm like, mom, can you just go to the jeweler? This is gonna be a really long day. I'm not gonna be able to get there before the end of the day. And I really just wanna pay off this last payment, get my ring, can you do that for me? And right about the time that I hang up, the sales manager calls and he says, Mr. Johnson, please bring the Buick to the sales office office. And I'm like, oh, Lord, help me. So I pull the car up. And right when I get out, I start like justifying what I've done. I, I was like, I, I tried my hardest. It looks like I messed up the paint. He goes, you, 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 you got the green paint off this car? And I'm like, this is not what you wanted me to do. Isn't that why you gave me the, the car to clean up? And he goes, dude, I got a truck that's coming here in just a moment. This thing's going to an auction. It's gonna be auctioned off for parts. You didn't need to clean this thing up. You're, you're totally fine. And I can remember just feeling this like wave of relief going, oh my goodness. So you're saying there's a chance I can marry this girl. 
and I can remember driving home that day and I was just weeping. I was just like, oh God, you're so good. It was so amazing how you like five minutes ago, I'm like, you've forsaken me. <laughs> and here I am, I'm gonna have a shot to marry the girl of my dreams, redemption. And I called my mom and I said, mom, you never believed the day that I had, at least tell me that you got there in time to get the ring. And she says, Ronnie, not only did I get the ring, but I, I brought the check in and I put it on the counter. And, and he said, no, Mrs. Johnson, um, let Ronnie know the last payment is on us. Tell him congratulations to he and Kara. And right there, I'm like weeping, which for those of you guys that know me, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to cry at the opening of a Walmart. Like, <laughs> I'm just an emotional dude. Isn't it amazing, though, how sometimes some of the biggest obstacles, some of the most difficult situations, God can actually use them to provide some of the greatest opportunities in our lives? Have any of you seen that, where you've been in the middle of a struggle, you've been in the middle of an obstacle, and in the moment you're going, how on earth am I ever going to make it out of this alive? This is the worst case scenario. And then you look back hindsight, and you see... He's never let me down. God's never let me down. He's always brought me through. I want to talk to us today about a man named Joseph. And we're just coming on the tales of Christmas. This is not Jesus' stepdad. This is Old Testament Joseph. And the reason I want to talk about Joseph is Joseph, I'm sure if, if his motto could be for his life to dream big but live better. Joseph, for those of you that don't know, he, was, he had 11 brothers, and he's one of the youngest brothers, and he, he, he was his father's favorite son, scriptures tell us. And we see this throughout scripture because his father gave Joseph something called the coat of many colors, which if any of you guys have been in Sunday school, you've probably seen it on a flannel graph or something like that. He, he got this coat of many colors, and this coat of many colors was significant for a lot of reasons, and one of the reasons was this was a status symbol, not only to his family, but it was a status symbol to the entire community. This wasn't just like the Gucci and the Armani of the day. This wasn't just designer. This was a status symbol that actually meant to the whole community that Joseph didn't have to do manual labor. He was going to be exempt from it. However, the rest of his brothers had to do manual labor. And so you could see how this would create some contention. Joseph, in the early stages of his story... He kind of looks like the dude's got some swagger. Everything kind of just works out for him. He's got some favor. He's daddy's boy. He's the favorite kid. He's got the coat of many colors. Doesn't have to do manual labor. This dude has it going. Then the Bible tells us that God gives Joseph a dream. And the first dream that he gets, he pulls his entire family together, and he's like, guys, you'll never believe this. I just had this dream, and, and check this out. Check this out. We were all out in the field. And I had this big bundle of wheat, and you guys all had bundles of wheat, but, but mine was bigger and taller than all of yours. And, and, and mine stood up straight, and all of your bundles of wheat began to bow down before mine. Isn't that, isn't that totally sweet? <laughs> and you could see how the 11 brothers probably didn't like that too much. And the Bible said some time has passed, and God gives Joseph a second dream. And this time he pulls the family together and he goes, guys, you, you'll never believe it. I just had another dream. And get this, there was a moon 
and there was a sun, and then there was 11 stars. You guys see where I'm going with this? And all of the moon and the sun and the stars bowed down before me. Can you believe it? Isn't that amazing? And the Bible says that his brothers began, began to be outraged at this situation, and even his father questioned Joseph. He said, are we to bow down before you? Is that what you're saying? And one afternoon, Joseph's father tells him, hey, I want you to go out and I want you to check on your brothers. They're, they're up in the mountainside. They're, they're letting the goats graze. And so he goes out there and his brothers devise a plan to kill Joseph. Sounds a bit extreme if you ask me. Sounds a bit extreme, but they decided to devise a plan to kill him. One of the brothers talks him out of it and says, hey guys, let's change the game plan a little bit. What if we sell him into slavery? And so the Bible says that they strip Joseph of his coat, his brothers, his own flesh and blood, and they throw him into a cistern, which is a pit. Now, I want us to push pause for just a moment before we dive into this portion of Scripture. Because I think we could learn a lot about this separation between what our life, what reality really looks like, and the dream that God has given to us. Here Joseph is, God had given this man two dreams, not only just one, but he reinforced it with the second. And just moments later, Joseph finds himself in a pit, stripped of his coat and abandoned by his own family to be sold into slavery. I want you to just push pause for a moment and place yourself into this story. Here Joseph is in a pit, waiting to be picked up by slave traders. God has given him that dream but he's in a pit. Now I want us to pick up where this was left off because I believe that this story is gonna tell us a lot about living our dreams, especially for those of us that feel like there is a discrepancy between the dream God gave to you and the life that you're living. And before we dive in, I want you to lean to your, to the, to your neighbor. I want you to put your hand on your heart and I want you to say, neighbor. Come on, say neighbor like you really mean it. The problem is here. We're going to try that one more time because that's about a B minus. I'm sure Lakewood's doing amazing. I'm sure Arvada and Brussels are killing it. God behind bars. But put your hand on your heart and say, neighbor, neighbor. The, problem is here. the problem is here. Open up your Bibles to the book of Genesis. It made it really easy because it's the first book. Genesis 39 is where we're going to pick up. I believe that a lot of us are misdiagnosing our problems when we see the discrepancy between our reality and the dreams that God has given to us. Oftentimes, we misdiagnose the problem and we say, my job's the problem. My education is the problem. My wife is the problem. Not me, just saying some of you might say that. <laughs> my income is the problem. And I feel like I want to encourage some of us today from the story of Joseph, he's going to make us look inward for a moment, put our finger upon our heart and say, this is the problem. This is the problem. Open up to Genesis 39 verse 1. Here Joseph has just been taken from the pit. And the Bible says this, when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar. Who's Potiphar? Well, he was an Egyptian officer, and Potiphar was captain of the guard of Pharaoh, the king of all of Egypt. But watch 
what the Bible says next. Remember, he was just in a pit moments ago, abandoned by his own flesh and blood, and he's going to be sold into slavery. And look what the Bible says in verse 2. The Bible says that the Lord was with Joseph. Now, I'm, not the, I'm not the smartest dude, but when I read this, I'm like, God, you weren't with Joseph. Like, he's just been abandoned by his own flesh and blood. He's literally been stripped of his clothes, thrown into a pit, and sold into slavery. That seems a bit much for me, God. Clearly, you were with the brothers. They went out on this occasion, but the Bible says that the Lord was with Joseph. And not only does it say that, but let's continue reading on in verse 2. It says, the Lord was with Joseph, so... Watch what follows this so. It says, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Now, the Bible is beautifully written. But if this was a story about me, I'm just going to say that my soul would probably be a little bit different than Joseph's soul. My, my soul would probably be like, the Lord was with Ronnie. So he went Rambo on everybody that treated him so poorly, right? Like, come on, that's what we would do. We, 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 wouldn't, we wouldn't remain there. We wouldn't be successful there. We wouldn't serve in that place. I'm out of there. I don't belong here. Just not too long ago, I was wearing one of those coats with the long sleeves, and now I'm a slave. How on earth could somebody be mistreated, betrayed, abandoned, and succeed and serve as a slave? I'm glad you asked the question, because I think in this story, Joseph is going to teach us how to live in the tension between our reality and this God-sized dream that he's placed in many of your hearts. How do we reconcile this? Because Joseph had a very keen awareness, a very keen understanding that the God of the universe... Like the one that made heavens and the earth, the one that said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He actually believed that. And so when he was sold into slavery, Joseph had this understanding that if this is happening, God allowed it. I wonder if some of you are in a situation right now where you're going, I don't belong here. This doesn't seem like the dream that I had in mind. God, you've given me a dream and I'm stuck here. I got to serve who? My boss is an idiot. <laughs> Not you, Sean. Not you, Sean. <laughs> Some of you are in that tension right now where you're going, how on earth am I supposed to thrive here? Joseph could have easily said, God, listen, you gave me this dream. The problem is my brothers, they betrayed me. He could have said, God, no, 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 no. You told me that I was going to be established in a place of prominence, and here I am serving as a slave. That's the problem. I'm supposed to be lifted and exalted and used, esteemed, admired, and here I am. But he didn't say that. He said, no, the problem isn't out there. God, you are after something much more valuable than my success. You are after my heart. The problem is not there, friends. The problem is here. Look what the Bible continues to say. Genesis 39 
Verse three, it says, Potiphar noticed this. His master noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything that he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything that he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. I wonder if the places that we work, whether we love them or we despise them, I wonder if they were, are blessed because the Lord is with you and the Lord is with me. I wonder if the sheer fact that the God of the universe is with you in this moment, wherever you find yourself in, no matter what, what difficult situation you find yourself in, I wonder if you could just abide and get a little bit of peace and learn to serve and learn to prosper where he has you because you know if it happened, then God allowed it. Some of you feel so bitter because somebody else got the promotion that you deserved. Some of you are just going, if they would just listen to my opinions, if they would just let me have a seat at the table, but they're not listening to me. My, it's my boss. It's his fault. The problem is there, but really the problem is here. I wonder, do we live like this? Do we have an understanding that where you are right now is exactly where God wants you, no matter how luxurious it may seem, or no matter how awful of a situation you are in. Let's continue the story. Not too long after this, Joseph is, I mean, he's thriving. The dude is successful. And then it just throws in, Joseph was good looking. He's a stud. Says that, that he was built well and that he was admired and the ladies had a liking to him. And one particular lady took a liking to him and it was Potiphar's wife. Bad day. Bad day. <laughs> and the Bible says, this isn't me, the Bible says that Potiphar's wife came up to Joseph and she says, listen, Joseph, I want you to lie with me. And the actual, uh, in, uh, the original language is actually interpreted as sex now. Like mama knew what she wanted and she was gonna get it. And the Bible says that because Joseph not only was blessed by what Potiphar had done, but he didn't want to sin against God. It says that he fled and left his coat behind. And Potiphar's wife, she was a cougar, but she wasn't no dumb cougar. She, she went to Potiphar and she said, listen, I'm going to beat Joseph to the punch. And so she came up to Potiphar and she says, you'll never believe this. Joseph came in here and he tried to take advantage of me. I know I'm just as appalled as you are. He's a good guy. And he's, Potiphar responds, he goes, you, you gotta be kidding me, Joseph? Like God is with that dude. He's, he's, he's taking care of everything. I, I, I don't have anything that I need to think about or obsess about. He's made everything prosper and he did this. In verse 19 of chapter 39, it says, Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. Joseph. Verse 20, it says, so he took Joseph and he threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held. This is the part, though, that's important. And it says, and there he remained. Remember, Joseph 
honored God in every situation. He worked hard. He honored Potiphar. He did what was right unto the Lord, yet he winds up in prison. He knows the vision and the dream of God, yet his reality looks quite a bit different. Here he finds himself placed inside of a prison, and the Bible doesn't say, and then they came to their senses, realized that Potiphar's wife, she wasn't good, she's a liar, and so then they released him. The Bible says there he remained. I wonder, are you in a place where you feel like you have been stuck incorrectly? You don't belong here. You belong there. The problem is with my job. I feel imprisoned in this moment. I feel imprisoned in this marriage. I feel imprisoned in this debt. I feel imprisoned in this situation. And here I remain. Have you ever felt that? Because this is where Joseph is. He's not in a metaphorical prison. He is in prison, remaining there. But look what the Bible says. Verse 21, it says, But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison. The Lord was with Joseph in the prison, and he showed him his faithful love. Aren't you glad for his faithful love? It says, and the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. <laughs> and before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. And the warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. And the Lord was with him and caused him to succeed. I wonder are you in a metaphorical prison right now? Are you in a literal prison right now wondering, has God abandoned you? God, this wasn't the dream that you put in my heart, that you reinforced time after time after time, yet here I am. What do I do? And there's a difference between my reality and what the dream was that was in my heart. You see, Joseph had a moment where he had been betrayed a few times. He could have been mad at a lot of people, and rightfully so. He could have said, the problem is with Potiphar. She's keeping me from the dream. He's keeping me from the dream. The problem's with Potiphar's wife. She betrayed me. The, the, the problem is I just keep getting wrongfully accused. I wonder, do you have a problem? But Joseph was steadfast and recognized that if he was there, it was because God had placed him there for a reason. And so he succeeded in everything that he did. I wonder, are you coasting in the place that God has placed you? I wonder, are you honoring where God has placed you? I wonder, do the people in your life recognize that the power and the presence of God is with you? Whether you are an accountant or a stay-at-home mom, whether you are unemployed or you are a doctor, is the presence of God tangibly with you so that everybody around you knows? Man, they just have something different. I, I don't know what's with you. I don't know what's, what's going on with you, but there is just something special about you that you could thrive even in prison. And here Joseph is. He knows the dream that God has given to him. His reality looks different, but he had an understanding that God is with me in every situation of my life. And if I'm here, it's because God has a purpose. 
There's a book called The Hiding Place that I was reading in preparation for this message, and it was written by a gal named Corey Tenboon, and it accounts her story. If you're not familiar with Corey Tenboon, she was wrongfully arrested and thrown into a Nazi prison camp with her sister for hiding Jews. And she gives an account of a particular situation that I think we can learn a lot from. Her and her sister had just been transferred in barracks. And look what she has to say. It says, when they were moved to barracks 28, Corey was horrified by the fact that their reeking straw bed platforms had just been swarming with fleas. She said, how could somebody live in such a place? Yet her sister read a verse to her from 1 Thessalonians 5.16. And the verse says this. It says, rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. And she said, that's it, Corey, this is the answer. We gotta give thanks in all circumstances. This is what we can do. This is how we can honor God in the situation that he has placed us. We can begin to give thanks. And so the story goes that they start giving thanks for the barracks. God, thank you for that we have a roof over our head. God, thank you that we were able to smuggle in a Bible and, and glean hope from your word. God, thank you that there's just tons of people in this prison camp with us, all of which can hear the good news of the gospel. And then Corey's sister said, and God, we thank you for the fleas. We thank you for the fleas. And Corey, Corey leads in and she goes, Betsy, listen, you've, you've, gone, you've gone too far. There's no way not even God can make me grateful for fleas. And then Betsy leaned in and said something that I believe each and every single one of us need to hear. She said, Corey, the verse says, give thanks in all circumstances, not just the good ones. And it just so happens that fleas are a part of our circumstance. So the story goes on that she once again gave thanks for the fleas. She continues telling the story, and, and, and a group of ladies began to, met, to meet nightly. And they met in these circles around candlelight, and they would glean hope from God's word. And night after night after night after night, they began to meet, and they started recognizing, wait a second, we had a lot more supervision from the guards, a lot more interaction with the warden in our other barracks. I wonder why they're not coming over here anymore. I wonder why they're not checking in on us. So they met more frequently and began to get more hope from God's word and their, their lives began to get filled with the richness of God's hope and his mercy and his love. And somebody started saying, listen, I overheard from one of the wardens. They don't come over here because they know this place is infested with fleas. Come on, we can celebrate about that. Isn't God good that he could use even the worst of situations in our life? He's working in your situation. I wonder, do you have fleas? I wonder, is there a pestilence in your life that you can't seem to give thanks for? Is there a situation in your life where you're going, surely, God, you can't be using this. I came to encourage you, give thanks in all circumstances. Some of you today, this weekend, need to give thanks for some of the really illogical, difficult situations in your life. It could be that God is using them if you would simply recognize that the problem is not here. The problem is here. I wonder, could some of us just go, God, I don't know what you're doing, 
It's a big discrepancy between my reality and, and the dream that you birthed in my heart. But God, I know that you're after something far more than my success. I know that you're after something far more than my wealth. You're after something so much more than just my dreams. You're after my heart. The problem's not out here. The problem is here. The story goes on that Joseph gets called out of prison one day. The Pharaoh wants to see him. See, the Pharaoh got word that Joseph could interpret dreams. Pharaoh had just had a dream. Joseph says, I can't interpret dreams, but the God who can is with me. He hears Pharaoh's dream and he says, Pharaoh, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be seven years of drought. And right now we need to begin storing up all of our excess because we're not going to be able to reap or harvest for seven years straight. And not only are we going to be able to feed our people, but the nations around us are going to come to us and they're going to, they're going to be able to get resources from this place because we will listen and honor what God is trying to warn us about. The Pharaoh knew that what he was saying was straight from the heart of God. And so in that moment, in one moment, the Pharaoh takes Joseph from the prison and he exalts him to second in command over all of Egypt. Just to give you the cliff notes, he became Potiphar's boss. See, some of you right now, you're going, I'm in a prison and there's no way out. I don't know how this is gonna happen. It doesn't necessarily make sense up here. And God's saying, listen, the problem is not your situation. The problem is right here. That's why the Proverbs say to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding but in all of your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight some of you you don't even realize how close you are to a breakthrough God is so good and in a moment's notice when you can surrender your heart to him be content in the situation that he has placed you in you're so close and in a moment's notice you could be moved from the prison to the palace can I tell you this if Joseph never was in the pit He'd never make it to the prison. If he never made it to the prison, he'd never be in the palace. Some of you need to stop despising the pit that you're in, the prison that you're in. God is using it and he is there with you. The problem is not there. The problem is here. The story goes on. The people from all over, all the nations around started coming in. And one day, Joseph is out there and he, and he rubs his eyes a little bit and he goes, oh my goodness, there are my brothers. I don't know what will go through your head, but I'm going, redemption is coming. You guys are going to pay. This is going to be a good day. I'm going to get vindication. I'm going to right the ones that have wronged me. But look what the Bible says. The Bible says in Genesis 5, 45, verse 4, it says he goes up to them and he says, listen, it's me. I'm Joseph. I'm your brother whom you sold into slavery. Watch this. He goes, but don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. Look what he says. It was God who sent me here. He sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine has ravaged the land for two years and it's going to last five more and there's going to be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive to preserve you. Verse eight says, so it was God who sent me here, not you. I wanna encourage you this weekend. Sometimes we give a lot of credit to the devil. 
my situation is really rough right now. There's a discrepancy between my reality and the dream that God has given me because the devil, could it be that the difficulty of the situation that you find yourself in right now, and some of you are in brutally difficult situations, could it be that God has a plan and even when you don't feel like it, could you be living his dream for your life? You see, something miraculous happened in Joseph's life. His awareness of God's presence and involvement in his life enabled him to forgive some of the ones that have hurt him. And I'm hopeful this weekend, maybe you can do the same. Stop saying they're the problem, my job's the problem, that's the problem, and start looking inward to recognize that God's care and compassion and love for your life, God wants you to live out the dreams that he's given you far more than you ever could. If you're able, would you stand to your feet? I'm just believing right now for some of you, God may, might not change your situation for a while. You might have to remain in your prison, but for some of you, some of the things that God wants you to do right now is to have some heart surgery. The problem isn't there. The problem is here. And if you would, with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you put your hand upon your heart right now? God, I pray right now that people in this room, everybody that's listening, no matter the situation right now, God, your word says that your eyes are looking to and fro throughout the world, looking for those whose hearts are fully committed to you. God, today we wanna have our hearts just fully devoted to you. You have us here for a reason, in the situation for a reason, in this job for a reason. And God, we have not been overshadowed because you have forgotten us, but Lord, you might just want us to remain. And God, my prayer is that some things would break in some people's hearts this weekend. God, what if thousands of us went across this city and our bosses and our coworkers and our families acknowledged that the presence of the Lord God Almighty is with us no matter where we are. And God, ultimately, it is you who is pulling the strings of our lives. Everything we have is for a reason. Anything withheld from us is because it's not for this season. And today, we trust you. And it's in the precious name of Jesus Christ who bought for us the ability to be saved and have his spirit within us that everybody at Red Rocks Church said, Amen. Red Rocks Church at all of our locations. We're going to worship like never before. The problem isn't out there. The problem is here. Let's surrender our hearts this weekend.